Hello and welcome to the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. This is episode number 44. My name is Ismael San Juan. Thank you so much for being here. Today, the Broncos trade for Teddy Bridgewater. How does that shake up the draft? What does that mean? We'll break all of that down. Also, who are the Niners going to target at number three? Number one and number two seem to be a lock, but what are they going to do as number three? The Chiefs. The Chiefs trade for Orlando Brown. They rebuild their offensive line. Also, is anyone going to trade for Julio Jones? I'll break down the top teams that should trade for Julio Jones. And Antonio Brown re-signs with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They have brought basically everyone back. They are ready to go at it again this year. And in the Champions League, Real Madrid and Chelsea tie 1-1. Manchester City and PSG uh, just finished today. PSG lose to Manchester City 2-1. I'll break both of those games down. Also, the Premier League top four is heating up. I'll predict which teams are going to make the top four. And in the NBA, the play-in race is heating up as well. We'll break down which teams are going to make the play-in in both the East and the Western Conference. All of that on this episode of the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast. Let's get started. Today, the Broncos trade for Teddy Bridgewater. The Broncos are sending a six-round pick to the Carolina Panthers in exchange for Teddy Bridgewater. The Broncos have said that acquiring Teddy Bridgewater adds competition, experience, and a strong veteran presence to our quarterback room. So now it's going to be Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater in that quarterback room. Um, reports are saying that the Broncos are still in play to get a quarterback at number nine. So if any of the quarterbacks that they kind of they they like on this in this year's draft is still there at number nine, this trade does not mean that they will pass on them by any means, and that's understandable. Teddy Bridgewater is the bridge quarterback. The Panthers used him as the bridge quarterback. They now trade for Sam Darnold, so they don't need that bridge quarterback anymore. The Broncos they're still trying to figure out if Drew Locke is the quarterback for the future, or if uh they just need Teddy Bridgewater to get them to to their next phase. Um, myself personally, I think Teddy Bridgewater, we know who Teddy Bridgewater is. Uh, he's 28 years old. He's been in the league for a while now. He's a serviceable quarterback. He's, a he's at the lower end of a starter. He's a really good backup. So if you have him as your starter, you know, you're not really going to expect him to win games for you. You're not doing terrible where you're like, oh my God, this quarterback is causing us games, but you know that there's a ceiling on you. And for Drew Locke, he's still young. He's, is. I think he just finished his second year in the NFL. There's a lot of people that rate him very high. He he does make some throws that you're like, wow. But then he makes some decisions that you look at him and you're like, is he ever going to be able to get over that hump? Is he ever going to take care of the football? Could he realistically be a franchise quarterback? I think for the first time since Drew Locke was a starter, he has a competent backup, someone that could legitly compete with him for that starting job. So if Drew Locke, if all these people are correct about the potential that Drew Locke has, Teddy Bridgewater will push him to become that quarterback. If Te if Drew Locke doesn't win the starting quarterback competition with Teddy Bridgewater, then we know Drew Locke is not made to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. He's not made to be a franchise quarterback. If he beats him, then, you know, we'll give him another year. We'll see how he does this year. We'll see if this competition and bringing in Teddy Bridgewater really pushes him to that next level. So I'm not mad. Uh, I actually like this trade by the Broncos. They acquired Teddy Bridgewater. Um, the jury's not out on Drew Locke. I know some people have given up on him. Some people are still they're on that Drew Locke train. They're still, you know, putting their chest out there for him, defending him, saying that he could be a franchise quarterback. Myself, I think I'm still the jury's still out. Uh, I haven't given up on him just yet. He had he does make some throws sometimes that you're like, okay, this this looks like you know he could work. Namely, I remember the games against the Chargers. He had he had like a nice comeback against the Chargers this last season. So I still think he got it. He could still do some good good stuff. But Teddy Bridgewater, this is the second time that he's been traded because of Sam Darnold. Um, he got traded from the Jets when they selected Sam Darnold, and now he gets traded from the Panthers because they trade for Sam Darnold. So Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold, I don't think they're the best of friends. Um, Teddy Bridgewater, I think he's a very good professional. Everywhere he's gone, people have raved about him. So I think he'll good he'll do a good job with Denver regardless if he's a starter or if he's the backup. Um Teddy Bridgewater did lower his salary from 17 million to 10 million or 11.5 million. Both numbers are being reported, so I don't know which one's accurate, 10 million or 11.5 million. Point is Teddy Bridgewater took a pay cut 
to get out of the Panthers, to get out of Carolina. Now he gets a chance to compete for the starting job in Denver. Um, Panthers will pay $7 million of his um, $10 million or $11.5 million salary, and Denver will pay the rest. Um, that Teddy Bridgewater experiment ended up being very expensive for the Panthers. Um, they pay him $7 million this year. They paid him $24 million last year. He only played 15 games for them. So Teddy Bridgewater, $31 million for 15 games by the Carolina Panthers, about $2 million per game. That's pretty expensive for Teddy Bridgewater. But they have Sam Darnold now, and they're moving on with him. They might even draft a quarterback, too. There's rumors that the Panthers might still get a quarterback at number eight. So we'll see what this means. Um, some other rumors that are going around because of this trade is that the Broncos um, believe that Justin Fields and Lance are both going to be gone by number nine. So Teddy Bridgewater is their backup plan. So because so this is the thought process. The Broncos believe or the Broncos really want Lance or Fields at number nine. But because they don't think that he's going to be there, either of them are going to be there at number nine. They traded for Teddy Bridgewater to have a backup plan. And people are speculating that the reason they don't think that Fields and Lance are going to be there at number nine is because the Niners are going to take one of them. So people are saying that the Niners are not going to get Mac Jones. I'll talk on that in a little bit, but are they, that's the craziest pick of this whole draft, number three with the Niners. What are they doing? Like, no one knows what they're doing. Or everyone, it, the draft is tomorrow, and we still don't know what they're doing. So that's, if these rumors are true and Fields and Lance are both gone at number nine, then that probably means that, in fact, the Niners won't get Mac Jones. But all points are starting, are pointing towards Mac Jones, so we'll see. <clears throat> the Broncos general manager, George Patton, was in Minnesota when they drafted Teddy Bridgewater. So he probably he probably likes what he sees from Teddy Bridgewater. Like I said, Teddy Bridgewater by no means is a bad quarterback. He's serviceable. Um, he doesn't turn the ball over too much. He's He, he has talent. He could extend the play with his legs. So... He's he's a reliable quarterback, and they're not paying too much for him. Like three to four point five million um, for a quarterback is is pennies in the do- on the dollar. It's nothing, and uh, he's a serviceable quarterback. And then they get to see if Drew Lock has any any fire. They light a fire under Drew Lock, and we'll see how he responds. So I think this is a great trade for the Broncos and for the Panthers. I think. Uh, I think it's it's a it's a okay trade too. They they save some cap and they get rid of a backup quarterback that they didn't need. So I think it's a win-win for both teams and we'll see what the Broncos do on draft day. We'll see what the Panthers do on draft day. It's going to be an interesting draft. I'm super excited for this draft, but let me know what you guys think. Do you guys think this is a good trade for the Broncos or who do you guys think is going to win the quarterback competition for the Broncos? Is it going to be Teddy Bridgewater? Is it going to be Drew Locke or is it going to be some other quarterback that they draft? Let me know. <coughs> But the NFL draft is tomorrow, Thursday, April 29th. Make sure you guys are watching. Make sure you guys are tuning in. I feel like there's going to be a lot of big moves. There's going to be a lot of surprises. It's going to be this is the draft that I am the most interested for a long, like for a while. I, I'm super excited about this draft. Um, I'm pumped. I've, I've said time aside, I'm not missing the draft tomorrow. It's going to be exciting. But the the pick that everyone is talking about, the buzz, the most the pick with the most buzz going into tomorrow is the Niners at number three. They traded a whole lot of picks. They traded a whole lot of capital to move up to number three. And we know they're going to take a quarterback. When they traded up to number three, you only do that trade to get a quarterback. And it, it basically came down between Fields, Trey Lance, or Mac Jones. And Ian Rappaport reported that it is now down to just two, Lance or Mac Jones. And... On an interview that Kyle Shanahan had about like two or three days ago, he said there's about five guys that he feels good at number three. And obviously he would feel good with um, Trevor Lawrence, who, who's probably going to go number one. And he'd probably feel good with Zach Wilson, who's probably going to go number two. So that really just leaves three guys that he could potentially, when he says five guys, there's only three that realistically he could get at number three. And that's the other three that we've been talking about, Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones. So the five guys that he's talking about, I have a feeling that it's Fields, Trey Lance, Mac Jones, Trevor Lawrence, and Zach Wilson. Who are they going to pick? At the beginning of this whole process, I thought they were going to get Fields. But as draft day has approached, it has become more and more evident that the Niners are not going to get Fields. And I know there's a lot of Niner fans that are upset. They want Fields. He's he's the one that 
had throughout this whole process, throughout last year's college football season, it was Trevor Lawrence and Fields. For some reason, Fields has dropped to four or five on the quarter on a lot of people's quarterback draft board. So it looks like they are going to get Mac Jones. Um, when asked about athletic quarterbacks, Shannon has said that Breeze and Rivers will still be good 40 years from now, which to me indicates that he's kind of like preparing the he's planting the seeds to defend his his pick. The least athletic of these three quarterbacks, Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones, is Mac Jones. He's, he lacks the ability to extend plays. So if he's saying stuff like that when asked about athletic quarterbacks, I have a good feeling that that means he's getting Mac Jones. And when when asked about, you know, if if it is Mac Jones, some people are saying, why did he move up to three? Like, you didn't have to move up that high. Um, You could have probably had him at number 12. Um, You could have probably moved up, like, less, just up to number six. You didn't have to go all the way to number three because if the Niners are this invested on on Mac Jones, the rumors around the league is that not a lot of teams are that high on Mac Jones. So there was a real possibility that they could have gotten him at 12. And when asked about um, that whole situation, he said, if you were going to be excited at number 12, be excited at number three. So I think I think all signs are pointing for the Niners and Mac Jones. I have bad news for Niners fans. I know Niners fans wanted Trey Lance. They wanted Fields. They, they were hoping Zach Wilson wasn't um, getting picked by the Jets. But all signs point towards Mac Jones. Also, when asked about... Um, if the rookie quarterback that they pick and Jimmy G would be teammates, he kind of answered saying that he can't guarantee that anyone in the world would be alive on Sunday. So I can't guarantee who will be on a roster on Sunday, which is kind of like, all right, you, all right, stop being a smart ass. Like, obviously you can't guarantee that anyone's going to be alive on Sunday. That, like that, that was like a non-answer. That was just Shanahan trying to be petty or trying to stick it to the media for asking him all these questions. And Mac Jones, his ceiling is Matt Ryan and Kirk Cousins. I think his ceiling is more towards the Kirk Cousins. Uh, Matt Ryan, he has had MVP seasons. He had he has had um, great season. He's taking the Falcons to the Super Bowl. Kirk Cousins is just like a very good quarterback that gets nice contracts. That his numbers look good, but you know you know if you have him, you could always do better. Um, he lacks mobility. Matt Ryan at the beginning of his career, he had a little bit of mobility. Now he's kind of losing it. Kirk Cousins has always lacked it. So I think Mac, Mac Jones' um, ceiling is Kirk Cousins. I know there's some Niner fans that are like, if you wanted Kirk Cousins so bad, why, why didn't you just trade for Kirk, Kirk Cousins? You could have probably got him for cheap or way cheaper than what you did to move up to get Mac Jones. Hey, I'm not the one making the moves for the 49ers, but I will say this. If they get Mac Jones at number three, they better hope and pray that he pans out because the Niners... The Niners are ready to win, you guys. The Niners have, when healthy, a top five defense, possibly tap top three. They have a lot of weapons. They have George Kittle, possibly the best tight end in the league, and at worst, he's the number two behind Kelsey. They have two great weapons in Ayuk and Debo Samuel. They have um, Trent Williams, I believe, at left tackle, one of the best left tackles in the game. They have Kyle Shanahan, one of the best offensive minds in the game. They are ready to win. Um, they're in a tough division, but they are ready to win. They just need someone to get the gang together, galvanize the gang, play great quarterback, and take them there. They are ready to win. They, like I said, top five defense, weapons all over the field, one of the best offensive minds in the league, and a solid line with an elite left tackle. They are ready to win. If they pass up on Mac Jones, if they pass up on Trey Lance, if they if they pass up on Fields, whoever, if the other two do great, if the other two do great stuff, the Niners are always going to be criticized for the decision because of the capital they gave up to get to move up to number three and because of how ready the team is to win. But that's that's the pick that we should be tuning in for tomorrow. If you guys don't have time to tune in for the first two, make sure you tune in to the, for the number three. That's when the fireworks are going to go off. That's when uh that's that's the domino effect. That's the first domino to fall for the rest of the draft, and we'll see how that um, pans out. Like I said earlier, some some people have said that the rumors for why the Panthers for why the Broncos traded for Teddy Bridgewater is because they believe that Trey Lance and Justin Fields are both not going to be there at number nine. 
hinting at the possibility that the Niners are going to take one of them. Somebody else is going to take the other. And now the Broncos are left with no quarterback that they want at number nine, meaning that Mac Jones is not the guy at number three. When all reports are pointing at Mac Jones being there at number th- uh, being the guy at number three. So if Ian Rappaport is correct, that Trey, it's between Trey Lance and Mac Jones, then by if, if all these rumors are true, then by by uh, eliminating the other two selections, then, then I would say it's going to be Trey Lance tomorrow. So right here, one day before the draft, approximately Wednesday at 4 p.m., I will say that my prediction for the Niners at number three is Trey Lance. Trey Lance will be the next Niners quarterback selection number three. But moving along to another rumor that's been stirring this past week, uh, it is said now that the Julio Jones is available through trade by the Atlanta Falcons. And basically the trade will probably be done after June 2nd because of cap, the cap implications and how his contract is structured. But one of the questions that immediately gets brought up is who should trade for Julio Jones? Obviously, um, you got to work the cap situations. But we've seen this offseason more than any other. You could extend players and add voidable years um, and just push salary further down the line to create cap space. If you want cap space, there's basically loopholes and ways that you could just create cap space by extending players, moving cap down the line. So I know some people might reply in the comments, hey, this team is below, doesn't have enough cap for Julio Jones, or hey, this team is cap strapped. There's no way they trade for him. There's ways, there's ways you can make it happen. No matter how tight your cap is, there's ways. So some of the teams that I that immediately came to my head when I heard about these Julio Jones rumors was the Green Bay Packers, um, Baltimore Ravens, uh, Miami Dolphins, and the New England Patriots. The Packers, we all we've all heard that Aaron Rodgers doesn't have enough help. That he's he's never had the Packers have never drafted a talent in the first round since he's been there. He he doesn't throw touchdown passes to uh number one or uh, two first round picks i think mercedes lewis was the first one and he was like on he's on the back end of his career when he he caught the pass from aaron Rodgers. so i think if you put jordan love and a pick for julio jones then the falcons might might budge on that jordan love he's entering the second year um some teams might be high on him and you throw in maybe a first round pick second round pick and you go get Julio Jones, who didn't play um, the whole season last year, who the Falcons, if they do go on full rebuild, they'll love to have a young quarterback. They'll love to get Julio Jones off their books. That might be able to get it done. And if you're the Packers, you've had two back-to-back 13-3 and three seasons. You've lost to the Niners. You've lost to the Buccaneers. You're right there. You're super close to getting to the Super Bowl again, to getting Aaron Rodgers' second ring. You put Devontae Adams next to Julio Jones. That's insane. Like, there would be no excuses at that point. Um, you, you won't be able to say that the Packers don't put a competent team around Aaron Rodgers. Devontae Adams and Julio Jones, might, depending on how Julio Jones comes back, but I think he's, I still believe he has a lot of um, left in the tank. He just has to get through those nagging injuries. But Devontae Adams, Julio Jones, as a number one and number two option, that would be insane. They brought Aaron Jones back. If the, if the Green Bay Packers make this happen, they're going to the Super Bowl, in my opinion. Julio Jones, Devontae Adams, that's that's trouble. That's impossible to, to account for. Devontae Adams, all the touchdowns he had last year, Julio Jones, he averages the most yards by any wide receiver in NFL history. So crazy, crazy duo if, it make it, if they make it happen. So I would love to see that. Green Bay Packers trading for Julio Jones. Another team that would make a lot of sense would be the Baltimore Ravens. They need help at wide receiver, um, maybe more than any other team. They just lack talent outside in the slot. And they just got a number one for the Orlando Brown trade. So they have they have um, draft capital. They have picks to throw at the, at the Falcons for a wide receiver. Lamar Jackson needs a legit weapon. He needs a number one wide receiver that could just separate, that could just go up and get the ball. That even if Lamar Jackson maybe misses the throw by a little bit, Julio Jones is going to be there. Julio Jones with still one of the best catch radius in the NFL. He could go and get that catch even if Lamar Jackson misses it by like a little bit. 
And we know what a number one wide receiver could do for a quarterback. We saw what we saw what um the Bills did when they got um Stephon Diggs, how that really helped um the Bills and how that offense just opened up. And I think it would it would work simil- similarly for Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens if they trade for Julio Jones. I think it would work along the same lines as it worked for the Bills. They just don't have a number one. Hollywood, Hollywood Brown, he's a speedster. Um, he's, he's entering the third year in the NFL. But he's just not enough. He's not enough. Um, they got like Willie Sneed. They got all these like wide receiver threes over there that they they're not the number one they're not number two they're they're number three and Lamar Jackson he's been asked to do a lot in his first few seasons in the NFL he already has an MVP but it's hard to do everything it's hard to you know put the whole team on your back it's hard when no one out wide puts pressure on the defense no one out wide really makes the defensive corner like man I need to leave my safety back because they might burn me if I don't so Julio Jones to the Baltimore Ravens. I think that would be another great trade. And another destination, Miami Dolphin, Tua needs weapons. To be able to evaluate Tua correctly, to be able to see if you really have a quarterback or if it's time to move on, um, you need to give him weapons. And there's um, people are saying that they're going to get a wire weapon at number six, which makes a lot of sense. Uh, I would be shocked if they don't get a wide receiver or a tight end. Daniel um, if they get Pitts or if they get Jamar Chase, anybody at number six to give Tua a weapon, if they're able to get somebody like that at number six, and they have they have insane amount of draft capital in these next few years, if they're able to trade for Julio Jones, you give you give Tua Pitts at number six, you give him Julio Jones via trade, and now we're looking at a at weapons. Now we're looking at Tua. Tua has no excuse. If you give him those weapons, if you give him Jamar Chase at number six, and then you give him uh, Julio Jones via trade, and Kyle and uh, Fuller comes back from his suspension, and Devontae Parker is still there, now Tua has no excuses, and now you're able to correctly evaluate him, and you're able to see what type of quarterback you have. But I think those three make the most sense. But another sleeper team that could be in the mix to trade for Julio Jones is the New England Patriots. They did add two of the top tight ends via free agency, John o. Smooth, um, John o. Smith and Hunter Henry. They're going back to that two tight end set that they had with Aaron Hernandez and Gronk. So Hunter Henry, John o. Smith, great signings, in my opinion, by the Patriots. They're going back to their bread and butter. But they also traded for, I mean, they also signed Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, two sleeper wide receivers. Nelson Aguilar had probably the best year of his career with the um, Las Vegas Raiders. Kendrick Bourne, another solid pickup. He's not a number one. He's probably not a number two. He's more of a number three. Nelson Aguilar probably will feel the most comfortable as a number two, not as a number one wide receiver. You put Julio Jones in that mix, he is the true number one still. He is, on his day, the best wide receiver in the NFL. So I think he just makes your signings that much better. If you bring Julio Jones in, then Nelson Aguilar's value goes up because... As a number one, he's kind of a lackluster number one. As a number two, he's like a really good number two. And Kendrick Bourne the same. As your number two, you might be lacking a little bit. As your number three, then or like if you have Kendrick Bourne as your number three, that's pretty solid. And you got your two tight ends that are going to be creating a menace down the middle. Now the Patriots are ready to go at it at teams and be a high-scoring team. So we'll see. We'll see if anybody ends up pulling the trigger for Julio Jones. But those are my four teams that should make the push for Julio Jones. Green Bay Packers, they got to go. They got to go try to capitalize on another championship these last few years that Aaron Rodgers is still the man. He's the MVP. Baltimore Ravens, they need to help Lamar Jackson make that take that next step, become that next elite quarterback. Even though he already won an MVP, um, I think they're still trying to progress him as a thrower, get him that number one Um and then he could be like Josh Allen. He could take that that same leap that Josh Allen took this last year. Tua, we still got to evaluate how good Tua is. Give him, give him weapons. Give him a legit chance. And we'll see what we have. And the Patriots, if they're serious about being contenders again, being the face of the AFC again, this is it. 
Go get Julio Jones and turn that team around. But um, a team that really is the face of the AFC, the Chiefs. The Chiefs lost the Super Bowl, Super Bowl Fifty Five. Um, they got smacked. They got battered. They had their star quarterback Patrick Mahomes running around, and their main problem in that Super Bowl was their offensive line. They were hurt. They were no match for the Buccaneers, and the Chiefs took it to heart. Credit to the Chiefs. They took it to heart. They analyzed the problem, and they fixed it. They spent all their offseason fixing that that problem, and their latest acquisition just goes to show how much a team could do when they really want to win, when they really want to be contenders and put the best team forward, put the best team out there. The Chiefs have traded for Orlando Brown Jr. The Chiefs get Orlando Brown Jr. Um, they get a 2021 second-round pick, and they get a 2022 sixth-round pick, and they send to the Ravens a 2021 first-round pick, 2021 third-round pick, 2021 fourth-round pick, and a 2022 fifth-round pick. And now, now the Chiefs are ready to run it back. They have fixed their offensive line. Um, Orlando Brown, he's a pro bowler. He didn't want to play right tackle with the Ravens. That's that's the spot that they were going to put him back in as right tackle. And unfortunately for him, he, his dad, he was also a left tackle in the NFL. And unfortunately for him, he passed away, I think, in 2011. But he made a promise to his dad that he would play left tackle. And now he fulfills that promise to his dad, getting traded to the Chiefs. He's going to be their starting left tackle. He's going to be the anchor of that offensive line. They are going to they are building this offensive line around Orlando Brown and other notable signings and acquisitions that the Chiefs have made this offseason. They signed Joe Tony for 5 years, 80 million dollar deal. Also, they got Kyle Long to come out of retirement. He's going to play guard or tackle. They signed they signed Austin Blythe from the Rams. He was their starting center last year. Um, their starting guard, Laurent Duvernay-Tardif, is coming back from opting out of the 2020 season. So all in all, the Chiefs have signed three offensive, li- three offensive linemen through free agency. They got two offensive linemen coming back from opt-outs, and they trade for Orlando Brown. That's a lot. That's a lot of people. That's a lot of manpower that is coming back to the offensive line. They saw how overmatched they were to the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. And they fixed it. They, they're they keeping their promise to Patrick Mahomes that they're going to always have a competitive team and they're going to look out for their quarterback. And by all means, all these signings, all these trades, all these players coming back, the Chiefs are the Chiefs are being a Class A organization for Patrick Mahomes. They're looking at him. They're like, we understand that you're our generational talent and that our window is now. As long as you're in your prime, that's our window. We're going to try to take care of you. We're going to try to put the best team that we can around you. And as long as you keep playing like that, we're always going to have a chance. So I tip my hat to the Chiefs. I tip my hat to Andy Reid, to their general manager for making these moves and building an offensive line for Patrick Mahomes so that he could stay upright, so that he could continue to terrorize um, the NFL. And now, by the way the Buccaneers are rebuilding their team or how they're bringing everybody back, and how the Chiefs are um, fixing their offensive line, I'm very excited to possibly see a rematch. A beefed-up Chiefs offensive line going at it against the Buccaneers and how they brought everybody back. That would be amazing. That would be... A, I would I would be all for it. I would, I would not be against a rematch next year of the Chiefs versus the Buccaneers just to see how it would play out now that the Chiefs have a legit, a legit offensive line. And this also got me thinking... Poor Russell Wilson. I'm like, I'm, there's been rumors that he wants to get out. That you know, he, he might be going to the Bears. He he might be going to the Cowboys, going to the Raiders. There's a lot of teams that were in the Russell Wilson sweepstakes. But man, he's been running for his life his whole career, and he's been asking the Seahawks to give give him a competent offensive line for as long as I can remember. And the Seahawks have just not been able to make the choir. They, they don't. They don't go for it, or they have they've missed in the drafts, or they haven't signed the players. But the Chiefs, in one off season, they saw what the problem was. They saw what Patrick Mahomes needed, and they went out together. They traded for a, a Pro Bowl left tackle. They signed a Pro Bowl left guard. They signed a starting center. 
They're getting players back. They're making moves. And now Russell Wilson is probably in Seattle thinking like, man, I wish my Seahawks, I wish my team did the same thing that they're doing for Patrick Mahomes. But we'll see. We'll see how that saga ends if he stays with the Seahawks, if he moves on. But I, like I said, I got to tip my hat to the Chiefs for rebuilding their offensive line. They analyzed their problem. It was easy. It was it was apparent. And you, you didn't have to be a great offensive mind. You didn't have to be a guru to see what the problem was with the Chiefs in the in the Super Bowl. It was their offensive line. They couldn't protect. They couldn't keep Patrick Mahomes in the pocket. He was running for his life. And the Chiefs addressed it. And the final piece was trading for Orlando Brown Jr. So I wish Orlando Brown Jr. the best. Uh, I'm happy for him. I'm happy that he get, he got to keep his promise to his dad. He's now a left tackle, just like his dad. And I'm excited to see how the Chiefs play in 2021. And I hope I would not be mad if we get a Buccaneers versus Chiefs rematch in the Super Bowl. And speaking of the Buccaneers, today on August 28th, Antonio Brown signs with the Buccaneers on a one-year deal, $3.1 million fully guaranteed. Um, Tom Brady petitioned for Brown to come back, and they, he, he gets it done. Tom Brady, you know, he gets his wishes done. He's probably the most influential man in the NFL. Tom Brady always had a lack of weapons with New England. After, after uh, Gronk started aging, they just couldn't, they couldn't get him wide receivers. They missed on the draft. They weren't signing players in offseason. And now for a second straight year, he gets Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and Antonio Brown all back. Another year that Antonio Brown is coming back from that episode that he had where he kind of broke down, where it looked like he he had lost his life. He has lost his NFL career. It looked like his life was going down the gutter. Now he's back in the NFL again. Last year in the 11 games that he played with the Buccaneers, he contributed. He scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Antonio Brown looked like he was ready to be a contributor, but obviously with all that time off in the NFL, he he was good, but he was not the old Antonio Brown. He is one year older. I think he's 32 now, but it's another year that he's back. He's, it looks like he's still in great shape. So I'm excited to see Antonio Brown. Like when he prime Antonio Brown is is up there with the top three, top four, top five wide receivers of all time. Like the the five year span that he had with the Steelers can compete against any five years of any wide receivers, even Jerry Rice. Those five years, four or five years that Antonio Brown had at the peak of his career with the Steelers were incredible, were amazing. Hundred plus yards, fifteen hundred yard season, hundred plus catch seasons. Like, it was nothing. It was incredible what he was doing. So another year back, another year with Tom Brady, another year in that Buccaneers offense with Bruce Arians. I think that would do wonders. I'm excited to see if Antonio Brown is able to get back to his old self. And also, I want to give Mike Greenberg, director of football operations, and Jason Light, the general manager um, for the Buccaneers. I think both of them deserve a round of applause. I was just giving uh, the Chiefs general manager some credit for how he rebuilt the Chiefs offensive line, how they were able to analyze their problems and, you know, rebuild their offensive line, address it this offseason. Same thing could be said for Mike Greenberg and Jason Light. They see they see their window. They see that Tom Brady is 42 years old, 43 years old. He probably I mean, we, we keep seeing that Tom Brady is going to retire, but eventually he's going to is going to become true. Like how many years does he realistically have left? Probably two, probably three, maybe four. But the point is, Mike Greenberg and Jason Light know that this is their window. This is their time to win. And they did everything in their power to bring everybody back, to run it back again with the Buccaneers. All 22 starters are back. Sixteen, The 16 players that had the most snaps for their offense are all back. Every single notable contributor from last year's Super Bowl winning roster is back. And... I applaud them. I applaud Mike Greenberg. I applaud Jason. L- I applaud Jason Light for what they're doing. I wish more teams would do this. I wish more teams would push all their chips to the center. It, I like. I like when teams do that. I like when they show how much they want to win, how aggressive they are. I don't like teams that they get good, they get to the playoffs, they're a consistent playoff team, and they don't make moves. They don't make any signings. They don't do any trades. They don't try to work the cap to get another player. 
they're just they they let people walk they're just happy being a playoff team and they never push all the chips in and that's not what Mike Greenberg and Jason Light are doing they're clearly clearly going for it again this year um whether it, it was to bring Chris Godwin back on a tag it was re-sign all these players they're making it happen Dominic Sue's back Antonio Brown is back Chris Godwin is back everyone is back basically and now on in tomorrow's NFL draft they get to just draft for whoever is the best player available on the board and I just have to applaud them I like what they're doing and I wish more teams did that I wish more teams saw their roster and be like we could win with this roster let's push all the chips in let's not let players walk let's keep going at it and see how good this team could realistically be Another team that brings that I kind of think of that did that was the Eagles when they were trying to do the dream team. It didn't work out for them. Um, Vince Young and uh, Namdi Asuma, the cornerback, they got a lot of players and it didn't work out. And that's fine. It didn't work out for them. Years later, I think being aggressive, staying at it, they got they got their reward. They got the Super Bowl. Albeit it was a completely different team, but that 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 team showed that they were willing to push all the chips in and maybe maybe the football gods thanked them a couple years later um when they won that super bowl against the patriots but i like seeing teams push push for it go for it and one of the teams that i've that i've seen that doesn't like to do this is the green bay packers and i wish they did because they have a very talented team and i think aaron Rodgers deserves to get another ring and i wish him the very best but i just I'm thinking that maybe the Packers are holding him back because they don't want to put all their chips in the middle. They don't want to go for it. They're just happy being a playoff team. But we'll see. Antonio Brown re-signs with the Buccaneers. Good for him. Good for the Buccaneers. Good for Tom Brady. Um, He gets another weapon. And the Buccaneers continue to be stacked on defense, on offense. Everywhere you look, the Buccaneers are deep. And this is just... Another player to their arsenal for their offense. But good good job by the Buccaneers. I like what they're doing. Wish them the best. Like I said, I will not be opposed to a Buccaneers versus Chiefs rematch. But transitioning over to football, to soccer, Champions League semifinals. The first legs are now done. PSG beat Manchester City. Real Madrid tied against Chelsea. Let's talk about this PSG versus PSG versus Manchester City game that just ended. Um, PSG lose 1-2 to Manchester City. It was a really good game. It was exciting for 90 minutes. I thoroughly enjoyed this game. PSG looked like the better team in the first half. Neymar was dancing all over the city's defense. Um, Marquinhos, in his first game back, was able to score. He gave PSG a 1-0 lead. But the second half belonged to Manchester City. They, they calmed down. I don't know what Pep Guardiola told them at halftime, but they calmed down. They relaxed. They took it to PSG in the second half. And they were able to score two goals in the second half and take a 2-1 lead into next week's game in Manchester. Um, They completely stopped Mbappe all game. Mbappe had zero shots on target. He did not look dangerous the whole game. He's going to have to perform better in the second leg. And they completely shut down Neymar in the second half. In the first half, Neymar was dancing all over them, he was linking up with his teammates. He was looking dangerous. In the second half, whether it be because PSG dropped back more, they became more defensive. Neymar looked a little isolated. He looked a little alone up there. And it led him to become the over-dribbler, uh, selfish kind of player that he can be sometimes. And I credit that to City more than I, I blame Neymar. Like, Neymar... Obviously, he's a great player, but when when he gets frustrated, when his teammates aren't really there to link up with him, he just reverts back into like you know the over dribbler that he is, trying to just draw a foul, trying to just toy with the defense when nothing else is going right, and that's what he turned into the second half. So it was just I think it was a masterclass performance by City in the second half. I was thoroughly impressed impressed on how they dominated the game. Their midfield took control of that game too. Um, Gundogan he looked amazing. Foden looked good. Uh, for PSG, Navas was good in the first half. He, I believe he had like two key saves in the first half, but in the second half, he didn't really show up. Um, the Kevin De Bruyne goal was off a cross. Dangerous cross through the face of the goal. 
Navas had to stay put for the cross. He didn't know if any of the other City players were going to hit it. It ended up going through. Navas didn't have the reactions. He could have done better. He could have definitely done better. Um, but it was a dangerous cross by Kevin De Bruyne. And lucky that it went in. But City was knocking on the door. So this goal was not against the run of play by any means. And then the second goal, another mistake by PSG. They concede a free kick in the top of the 18 box. Dangerous position to give away a free kick. And unfortunately for PSG... Kimpembe turned around. He let the ball pass him. You just can't do that if you're a player on the wall. You're on the wall to defend your goal. You're on the wall to be, you know, a stopper of the ball. Unfortunately for PSG, Kimpembe turns his back to the ball. The ball sneaks right past him. And obviously, Keylor Navas thinks his wall is going to do the job. He's not. He's kind of leaning towards the other side of the wall. The ball passes through the ball. I mean, the wall, the ball passes through the wall and Keylor Navas doesn't have the reactions to keep the ball out. So all in all, it was an exciting 90 minutes of football. I thoroughly enjoyed this game. This was the better of the two semifinal games, in my opinion. And PSG, for all the good they did in the first half, now they're going to go into Manchester next week and they're going to chase the game. And I think that's dangerous with a team like City. And overall... My final verdict on this game is that City look like they're a top team. They're a top team, top to bottom. They have a great coach. They play as a team. They're all their players look they're they're one they're in one string. They all just know what the other players are doing. They play together as a team. And PSG look like a team with top individuals. They don't look they don't always look connected. They don't always look like they're all flowing as eleven players. They just look like they rely on their individual talents, on their individual players a little too much. And when those individual players like Neymar, like Mbappe, don't have a great game, then it shows for PSG. It shows that they over, overly rely on those players. And I think those PSG players kind of take take on from their two stars. Neymar kind of lost his head. He got a dumb foul. He, did, he committed a dumb foul after they were down 2-1, earning himself a yellow which is dangerous because if he gets another yellow in the next game, then he misses the final. So that was a dumb foul by Neymar. And then uh, Gay uh, took a red on the challenge to Gundogan. So it's just a bad overall performance by PSG, especially the last 20 minutes in the second half. It was just terrible performance by PSG. But in part, I got to give credit to City because they were super solid defensively and they took they took care of the two chances they had. And now they take a lead to Manchester. If PSG have any chance of making a comeback, of turning this tie around, Neymar and Mbappe are going to have to have a massive game at City in a week. Um, Is it possible? Yeah. Do I see it happening? No. I think City is going to get to their first Champions League final. I think uh, PSG is going to have to chase the game too much in Manchester. And Manchester um, City is just a better team overall. They're more together. They have better chemistry they pass the ball better. Um, I think Pep Guardiola gets his re- revenge against Pochettino for their um, when he lost to him when he was at Tottenham. So I think uh, I think this is very deciding. I think uh, PSG got knocked knocked down at home today, and I, I don't see them coming back in Manchester City. But the other game, the other Champions League semifinal, Real Madrid and Chelsea tie one one in Madrid. Um, this game didn't really have a lot of chances. It was raining very, very hard through most of the game. Uh, it made it, it just made it hard to play good football. But overall, I think Chelsea was better. Chelsea looked more dangerous. The two best players on the field, in my opinion, were Christian Pulisic and N'Golo Kante. I think they were the two best players in this tie. And for Chelsea, they have to be frustrated. I think they look like the better team. They played better football they had the best chances and unfortunately for Chelsea Timo Werner missed another sitter which is becoming a weekly thing uh, it kind of it's kind of reminded me of Fernando Torres when he had that terrible spell with Chelsea but they paid all this money for Tim, Timo Werner and he missed another sitter Christian Pulisic put him on a platter in the first 10 minutes of the game headering the ball down to him Timo Werner five yards out one-on-one against 
Courtois and he can't put the ball in the back of the net. I know Chelsea fans are getting frustrated by him. I, I know Chelsea fans are getting tired. Um, and they're running out of excuses. They're running out of patience for him. The optimism in these Chelsea fans has to be applauded because, uh, you know, I know a lot of other teams, everybody would have turned on Timo Warner. But one of the things that Chelsea fans are saying, that I'm seeing Chelsea fans are saying, is that at least he's getting to the spots. His positioning is right. He knows how to get into dangerous spots. He's still getting the chances. He's just not putting them away. And that eventually he's he is going to put them away. And it's going to be, you know, it's going to be all jolly. Everything's going to be water under the bridge. He's going to be the signing they thought they were getting. But unfortunately for Chelsea fans, that's not how it works. You know, with every miss that Timo Warner uh, has, the more likely another miss becomes because it's just going to kill his confidence. And it's going to continue to kill his confidence the more he misses. And confidence is one of the most important factors for a football player. If you don't have confidence, then you lose a lot of your skills. You lose a lot of your talent because you don't think you can do it. You start questioning yourself. And with soccer, everything is so is so snappy. It's a, it's a second's decision. It just has to come naturally to you. And if you're doubting yourself, you're not able to make those decisions as quickly. You, you overthink it and you start missing goals. And I think that's what's happening with Timo Werner. Yeah, it's great that he's he's uh, his ball movement is great, that he's there in the positions, in the correct time, in the correct place, but he just needs to start putting these chances away. And I feel bad for Tommy Abraham because I don't know if he did something to Thomas Tuchel. I don't know if he said something about his wife, if if he has, if Thomas Tuchel has some dirt on him. I don't know what Tommy Abraham did, but he's just not getting playing time under Tuchel. He has played about two hours um, since Tuchel became the coach, and he's still the Chelsea top scorer. So I think they are giving Warner way too long of a thread, way too long of a leash. I think he's playing way too much. He They need to cut his playing time because it's just not working. I know they paid a lot of money for him. I know that they hope and they wish that this signing pays off. But right now it's just not paying off. And they're leaving chances on the door against teams. And this might end up costing them. Real Madrid, you know, this is their... This is their tournament. This is Real Madrid's tournament. They've won this more than any other team. So you, you got to put Real Madrid away when you get a chance. And Timo Warner had a chance and he missed. And we'll see We'll see how they do at Stamford Bridge on Wednesday, on next Wednesday. But I am definitely getting I am getting concerned with Timo Warner. I'm, I'm not a Chelsea fan. So I could only imagine how Chelsea fans are feeling with Timo Warner. But... As far as this game goes, Pulisic and N'Golo Kante were the two best players on the field. I didn't understand the Pulisic substitution. He was the most dangerous player for Chelsea. He scored the goal. The goal was a brilliant piece of footwork, how he got around Courtois, how he dribbled around the defense and, and had uh, the composure and the cool head to score. He was the most dangerous player for um, Chelsea. He was earning fouls. He was getting players uh, on cards for Real Madrid and... He gets subbed out. I, the only reason I would understand this is because he did have a yellow, so you're trying to protect him. You don't want him to get another yellow. And because Pulisic is known for getting injuries, so you don't want him to maybe pull a hammy. I think that's the main factor. I think he, he um, Tuchel was preserving Pulisic. He doesn't want him to get um, an injury, a knock, if he plays maybe too many minutes. But he was the most dangerous player, so... A big props to the American, big props to Pulisic for the goal, for the game he had. And there's calling it the most influential game or the most influential goal by any American player ever in European competition. I think no American had ever scored in a semifinal in a Champions League. So round of applause for Pulisic. Um, he had a great performance against Real Madrid. And for Madrid, they had a lot of injuries. I believe Modric and Kroos have injuries themselves and they're playing through it. So shout out for those two greats. Um, they're carrying the team. They're playing as best as they can right now with all the injuries. Courtois was huge. He had some key saves. He had that one big save against Timo Werner that at the beginning of the game that could have completely turned the tide. Marcelo looked lackluster. He doesn't have he doesn't have the legs anymore. He doesn't have the burst. He just looks pretty old. Um, it's sad to say, Marcelo, a club legend. Uh, Mendy is really needed. Mendy is just so much younger. 
He has that pace. He has that burst. He's dangerous attacking from the wingback position. And Marcelo, he's just, unfortunately, it's that time of his career where he's getting old. He lost his step. He's a club legend, but obviously Mandy is needed. And Hazard came in in the second half. He played sparingly. He was a non-factor when he came on. He didn't look dangerous. He didn't look like he was really going to create any danger for that Chelsea back line. We'll see how he does on Wednesday at Stamford Bridge. He had some great, obviously he's had some great days. He's had some great performances at Stamford Bridge. So hopefully for Madrid fans, he has a great game being back at Stamford Bridge. But we'll see. Benzema, Benzema is a beast. He's a total monster. Um, on his day, he he's up there with Lewandowski as the best strikers in the game he scored a beast of a goal um it came out of nothing completely against the run of play Chelsea was dominating Chelsea looked like the dangerous team and on a deflection on a on a rebound on a on just a a loose ball in the 18 yard box Benzema gets the ball headers it to position himself on a volley hits it there's nothing there's nothing Mendy could do to stop that that shot and he tied the game for Real Madrid. He also had, uh, he was going to score a screamer outside the 18-yard yard box with his left. It hit the post and it went out. Just Menzema is a monster, super underrated. The fact that he's still out, out of the French national team is is criminal. He should be in there. He should have been a World Cup champion. But that's, for, that's a topic for another day. Shout out to Benzema for having another great showing. Um, how do I see this tie coming along? I think Chelsea might regret not going back to Stamford Bridge with the lead. Obviously, Real Madrid have to get have to go to Stamford Bridge, have to go to Chelsea and look for the score as Chelsea would move on right now with the away goals. But I think Ramos might be back next week. Mendy's going to be back and um, Federico Valverde uh, might be back too. So if Real Madrid get all their players back, if Hazard has another week to recover, we might hopefully we get a good Hazard next week. But Chelsea was definitely the better team this this week. They were better. They were the better team in Madrid Madrid this week, and they go home with the one one victory. I think they might lament that. They might wish that they would have put their chances away. But we'll see. I think it's gonna be another tight game. There's not gonna be a lot of goals scored at Stamford Bridge. If Real Madrid, I would not be surprised if uh, the scoreline is zero zero. Or 1-0 either way. I'm hoping for a 1-0 Real Madrid win, but we'll see. And Chelsea, Chelsea is also in the middle of a top four race. The Premier League is coming down. Five games left for most teams. The top four is heating up. Who's going to finish in the top four? Manchester City, they're all they're, they're guaranteed a top four finish. United is almost guaranteed too. They have a substantial lead against everybody else so basically it comes down to the last two spots number three and number four currently number three is Leicester they have 62 points number four is Chelsea with 58 West Ham with 55 Liverpool with 54 and then Tottenham 53 Everton 52 those are the teams that are still in the race Um, Everton do have a game in hand so if they win that they'll be 55 tied with West Ham for number five if you look at their remaining schedules, I think Leicester City have two very winnable games, Southampton and Newcastle, and then they finish with like three with like a three-man gauntlet, Manchester United, Chelsea and Tottenham. If they beat Southampton and Newcastle, Leicester gets to 68, which almost guarantees them a top 4 finish, and if they're able to get pick up one win against United, Chelsea or Tottenham, they will be a top 4 team. Almost, I think, 100% if they get three wins. So Manchester United at that point might have the number two locked up. They, they will definitely probably have a top four finish locked up. So how invested, how much effort are the United going to put in that game? I don't know. But I do think Leicester um, is going to be one of the teams. They're going to hold on to the number three. And at the very least, they're going to hold on to the number four. So that really, realistically, there's only one spot left that these teams are fighting for and that's the number four spot like i said city and united are pretty much in city guaranteed in united all but in and leicester by their schedule i can almost guarantee that they're going to stay in they're going to be southampton they're going to beat newcastle 
And they just got to pick up some points against United, Chelsea, and Tottenham, and they should be good. If they end up losing to Southampton or dropping points to Southampton and Newcastle, then that would really spice things up. But we're realistically just looking at Chelsea, West Ham, Liverpool, Tottenham, and Everton for that last spot. And I think West Ham has the best chance of getting that last spot. If you look at their schedule, they got Burnley, Everton, Brighton, West Brom, and Southampton. As a Wolves fan, I know Burnley just beat Wolves 4-0, but I think West Ham could take care of them. Brighton doesn't really post much of the challenge. West Brom is the relegation team. Southampton has really fallen off. Everton, they're like barely there, kind of. So West Ham could realistically maybe run the table and win five games. Chelsea have a three-point lead against West Ham, and they have Fulham, Man City, Arsenal, Leicester, and Aston Villa. That's a really tough schedule. A Manchester City, that's going to be tough. Arsenal, that's going to be tough. Leicester, that's going to be tough. Aston Villa is on a good day. They're tough, too. So we'll see how Chelsea finished out. They're still in Champions League, too, so you got to think about that. Uh, that team might start getting tired. That might put a lot of stress on their roster. And they're also in, in a cup final, I believe. So we'll see. They're in the FA Cup final. So Chelsea is definitely going to... They're playing for a lot of tournaments right now, deep into the season. That might take a toll. Liverpool have Manchester United, Southampton, West Bram, Burnley, Crystal Palace. Other than the Manchester United game this weekend, their schedule doesn't look really that hard. Southampton, West Brom, Burnley, Crystal Palace. They're not tough oppositions by any means. But they did just tie 1-1 to Newcastle, so I'm I'm losing a lot of fate in Liverpool. Tottenham has Sheffield, Leeds, Wolves, Aston Villa, Leicester. It might come down to Tottenham versus Leicester in the last week of in match day 38. But honestly, I don't have fate in Tottenham either. And Everton, they have Aston Villa, West Ham, Sheffield United, Wolves, and Man City. And they have another makeup game that hasn't been scheduled, I believe. But I don't believe in Everton. So the way I'm looking at it is it's really going to come down between Chelsea, West Ham, and Liverpool. And if I am if I was a betting man, I think I would put my money on West Ham. They have the easiest schedule. Um, they're riding a high horse. They're, they're playing good. Moyes is good, coach. I think I would put more, um, West Ham as as the fourth team, City, United, Leicester, and West Ham. And I think that would be that would be good for, for football. That would be good for soccer, having City, United, two Manchester teams, two well-respected teams, two, well, they used to be well-respected, but two teams that we look at highly, um, European Super League teams. And then to standing up for the rest of the world, standing up for the rest of the English League, it would be great if Leicester and West Ham are able to nag one of those top four spots. That would be great. That would really it would keep the dream alive for all these other teams seeing Leicester and West Ham um, end up with the Champions League spots. That's what I'm rooting for, and that's what I'm hoping for. So my prediction for the Premier League top four finish would be City, United, Leicester, and West Ham. And But luckily for these teams... City and Chelsea are in the Champions League final. So if either of them win it, um, five teams from the Premier League make it to the Champions League. So if it's not, if it is the four that I'm predicting, then Chelsea and Liverpool would have a chance to make the the Champions League via the number five spot. And moving along, last topic I want to talk about today. Um, I want to make some NBA play-in predictions. There's about five Five or six games left, or maybe a little bit more, depending on the team, left in the NBA season. And the playing race is getting real heated. It's, it's getting very heated up. It's getting it's catching fire. Um, I think the play-in for the NBA was a great idea. It guarantees that a minimum of 10 teams will play to the end of the season, possibly 12, depending on how the race is going. And right now, for the East, I believe there's 12 teams that could still realistically make the top 10 seeds and for the for the west there's like around 10 or 11 depending if you believe that the pelicans or the kings still have a chance to make the top 10 spots and i think this is the best cure for tanking if you have 12 teams competing for a playoff spot or a play-in spot then that only leaves three teams per conference really going for the number one overall pick which is great for basketball it, it incentivizes more teams to play till the end of the season to not tank to not give up and just lose on purpose and all signs point towards the NBA keeping the playing tournament 
moving forward, which I think is a great idea. I love the idea. I think it's great. But on to the predictions. I think for the West, the Pelicans and the Kings look like they won't be able to catch up the 10th place Warriors. So it's going to come down to the Warriors. Or I think they're basically pretty much they're just fighting for the seeding. If they're going to be 7th or 8th or 9th or 10th. In my in my opinion, I think uh, the Mavs and the Lakers will avoid the play-in. That would be the 5th and the 6th seed. And the Grizzlies will finish 7th, moving ahead of the Blazers. The Blazers will finish 8th. I think the Warriors move up to 9th. And the Spurs finish 10th. In the East, looking at the rankings, I think the Heat will finish 7th. Hornets 8th. Wizards 9th. And the Pacers will hold on to the 10th seed. And then I'm very excited to see the plans. If my predictions come true and the Clarisleys are the 7th seed, the Blazers are the 8th seed, and the Warriors are the ninth seed, Spurs 10th, then we would see a Grizzlies versus Blazers, and then we'll see Warriors versus Spurs. I think the Warriors would win, and then I think the Blazers would win, and then it would set up Warriors versus Grizzlies. And then at that point, I think the Warriors have a puncher's chance to beat the Grizzlies, and it would be great to see the Warriors and the Grizzlies both make the NBA playoffs. And for the East, Heat, Hornets, Wizards, Pacers, the Wizards aren't on a mission right now. Um, Russell Westbrook has turned that team around. Once Russell Westbrook turned his season around, it looked like the Wizards turned their season around together with Russell Wes- Russell Westbrook and Bradley Beal. The Heat have they made the finals last year. They have a lot of talent, but they've been struggling. The Hornets at number eight. I love what they're doing. I love I love what they're building over there. They might be one year away from really competing for a playoff spot. We'll see when Lonzo when uh. Lamelo ball comes back but i think the hornets have enough talent have enough uh, willpower to maintain the eighth seed and the pacers they have a like a two and a half game lead against uh the bulls for that eighth ninth tenth spot so i don't think i don't think the bulls um will be able to to end up with the playoff spot unfortunately for them they did trade for vucevic they do have a uh, um, Sack Levine, but I don't think the Bulls have enough. I think um, for the East is the Heat, the Hornets, the Wizards, and the Pacers. And if I was a betting man, I think the Heat and the Wizards are the teams that will make it in. But all in all, I think this play-in is a great idea. I'm very excited to see how it plays out. I'm excited that all points, all all roads lead for the NBA to uh, accept this going forward. Like this is going to be the norm. This is just how the NBA is going to be moving forward. And I think that's great. Um, it just keeps so many teams, so many fan bases invested to the end of the season. Um, right now, I believe if if you were like the if you were the like the Wizards, and you're kind of far back on the on the leaderboard, you're kind of far back in the standings. Before this run that the Wizards had, it, they could have called it. They could have just been like, you know what, we're we're really bad. Let's try to tank, and let's try to get a, a higher pick in next year's draft. But because of the play-in, I think that incentivizes teams to just see it out to the end of the season. Like, okay, we're we're like four or five games behind the 10th seed. Like, if we have a little run right now, we can still make the play-in. We can still make the playoffs. The season's not over. I think that's great, and I'm all for it. And I'm excited to see this play-in. Uh, we got to see Curry. We got to see um, Westbrook. We got to see Bradley Beal in games that matter. Playoff scenario, win and you're in. And I think... That's great because there's a lot of players that even if Bradley Bill and like Russell Westbrook don't make don't make it to the playoffs, just seeing them in a in a do or die game against some other team is going to be great. It's going to be great. Basketball is going to be a great showing. So I'm all for that. So I love what the NBA is doing. They're, they're changing the game up. They're changing the seating up. Um, I think this is one of the best ways to deter teams from tanking. And I'm all for it. There's games on tonight that have a lot of implication. I think the Blazers play the the Grizzlies. So stay tuned. It's going to be a tight race to the to the end. Um, when the play-in is announced, when the season ends, I'll look back at this and see how correct that was. Hopefully I'm, I'm right. I would not be mad if another team gets gets in. Like if the Bulls with Sack Levine, Vucevic make it to the to the playoffs, to the play-in, I won't be mad. Or if if the Pelicans end up, you know, going, they still have to play the Warriors three times, I believe, so they could catch up to them. If the Pelicans get in with Sion Williamson and, you know, Lonzo Ball, 
and Brandon Ingram. I won't be mad either, but my predictions one more time for the play-in. It would be in the East. I have the Heat, number seven, Hornets, eight, Wizards, nine, Pacers, ten. And in the West, Grizzlies, seventh, Blazers, eight, Warriors, nine, Spurs, tenth. But this should do it for the Hard to Handle Sports Podcast, episode number 44. Hope you guys enjoy it. If you guys listen to the end, I appreciate you guys. Appreciate you guys listening to the content. And as always, a reminder to subscribe to the podcast on YouTube, on Spotify, on Apple Music. Thank you so much for your um, help, for your support. And I hope you guys have a great rest of your day.